Good morning again. We're uh, to the last message from First Thessalonians in our series. It's called Ready, Strength for Today, and Hope for Tomorrow. So, kind of in keeping with the uh, theme of hymns this week, uh, I've titled our message, some of you will recognize this phrase, Out of His Infinite Riches in Jesus. Uh, it's from a great old song, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But uh, I want to read from Mark, and you're probably wondering what in the world are you going to the Gospel of Mark for when we're preaching from First Thessalonians. But I want to tell you uh, something that happened this week. So I'm looking at more, Mark chapter 4. Uh, you'll recognize this account of Jesus uh, in the boat with his disciples. In my Bible it says, uh, Jesus calms a storm. And I'll read this uh, few verses. On that day when evening had come, he, that being Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. So Thursday I was at the uh, Illinois Youth Center. I'm there almost every week. Uh, young men there from ages 13 to 18 that are doing serious time. And, uh, you know, I, I shared this account of Jesus calming the storm. And I, and I had a point that I wanted to get to. And... Uh, the last sentence in there is, it says, uh, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so I asked the young men, I said, so who created the heavens and the earth? And some of them said, God. And I said, so who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And I wanted them to say, well, he must be God too. And one of them said that, but there were a couple of them that said, well, now wait a minute. <laughs> they looked at me and they said, are you trying, to, you trying to tell me that Jesus is God? And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. And, and so uh, I began just for a couple of minutes to explain Jesus in three persons. And, you know, trying to explain the Trinity to the church is difficult enough, but trying to explain it to a bunch of 13 to 18-year-old young men that many of them have really never heard the Scripture, they weren't getting it. So my friend, my partner, who's significantly younger than I am, Derek, he says, hey, Dave, let me say something. I said, go for it, Derek. I'm burying myself here. So, so Derek, he began to explain the commandments of God. And I thought, wow, where's he going with this? And he said... Uh, 
you know, God gave us some over 500 commandments, and he gave us the 10 commandments that we're all aware of. And, and God knew from the very beginning that we couldn't keep them. <laughs> and, uh, and because he knew that we couldn't keep them, he had a plan. And then, then I began to see where he was going. And he said his plan is that God himself would come to earth in the form of a child. And so then the young men began to see, oh yeah, that was God. You know, in, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. You know, they began to see that concept. And so I love that. That was a, oh, he nailed it, man. D- Derek nailed it. And they began to understand that how Jesus could be God. And you know, I was thinking about our message today. Much of God's word to us since the very beginning, since Adam, uh, since Adam sinned, much of what God gave us is those commandments. I think there's like 539 commandments or something in the Old Testament, and then the Ten Commandments, the, the law. And, and I think about that, and, and, and we couldn't keep them. And then the Lord Jesus in his teaching we went through the Sermon on the Mount where he explained the law and the implications for every one of us. And we began to realize that we can't even keep the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, you know what? It shows us as people that we are in desperate need of a Savior. And you know what? It shows us that today even. And you know what? That goes against our grain. It really does. It goes against the grain of people. Even the church sometimes doesn't like to hear that we're still in desperate need of a Savior and the gospel. (laughs) You know, you remember the church in Laodicea where Jesus told them? He said, you say you're rich. You know, we've got everything. We've got this building. We've got musicians. uh, We've got Tom when he's here to help lead worship which I'm thankful for. We've got teachers. We've got pastors. We've got it all. We're rich. We've prospered. I need nothing. And Jesus says, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's talking about spiritually. That's the church. We're still in desperate need of a Savior. And you know, the world hates that kind of thinking. The world doesn't want people to tell them that they're depraved. There's this doctrine of total depravity. Even Christians go, I don't know about that, man. I'm not totally depraved. Uh, But think about it all through the scriptures. I think of Psalm 1, actually Psalm 2. (laughs) And it says in Psalm 2, the verse 2 verses, it says, why do the nations rage? That sounds like our world today. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? It says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. So the world doesn't want to hear this stuff. The world has always said, I'm against God. I'm against his anointed one. And when we think about electing somebody in this country who's going to be our, could be our king in a sense, 
our president. You know, remember that the world has always raged against God and his anointed one. And then it goes on in that psalm to say, let us burst their bonds apart. I think about handcuffs. How many of you have been in handcuffs? Come on, raise your hand. You don't, ah, there we got a couple people that were brave enough. I've been in handcuffs. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> and, you know, you're thinking about, I want to burst these bonds. And so when, when God gives us the law, when he gives us his commandments, when he says we need to obey him, we chafe at that. We want to burst the bonds and cast away the cords from us. It's like, you know, don't tell me what to do. Don't fence me in. That's our attitude as people. But it's tempting once we become Christians, once that I'm a Christ follower, it's tempting to say, you know what, I can do this myself. I've got it, you know. I get it. I understand. I know the law. I know what you want me to do, and I can obey God. But I believe that in our text for today, I think Paul's given us some different instructions to follow. And I think that Paul is teaching us as Christians from God. You, you remember last week? You remember when Kevin was here? You remember all the points that he had? Do you know how many blanks he had on that sheet? There were 50 of them. I counted them. But there were 17 admonitions, I think, if you look at that scripture. You don't have to count them right now. But, but you remember last week the teaching... From, from Paul is to the people in the church, he's told them, this is what final instructions. You need to respect those that lead you. You need to esteem them. You need to be at peace. You need to admonish one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, to be patient with one another, to seek to do good for one another, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to be thankful and grateful. And you know what he's teaching us this week? He's teaching us that we can't do that alone. We alone cannot do that. Huh. And this morning, that's why I picked that old, that old hymn for a title. It's called, He Giveth More Grace. I won't sing it. I'd love to. But it says, His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. It's only out of the infinite riches of Jesus that you and I, through grace, can obey the word of God. So stand with me and we'll read our text. You're probably thinking, wow, he finally got to the text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just a short passage, passage, verses 23 to 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
Father, I pray that you will teach us through your Holy Spirit and that we will give glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the first point this morning is from God's bounty. And here's in those first two verses that I just read, verses 23 and 24, that's where we begin to see that it's out of God's infinite riches. It's out of his bounty through Jesus and that not of ourselves. We're going to be preaching about Jesus this morning, so I hope, I want you to see the Lord Jesus this morning. I really do. And I hope that we can even be excited about seeing the Lord Jesus. So uh, the first sub-point there is that he is the giver of peace himself. Now, if you read that scripture, here's how it goes. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. And then at the end of it, it says, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. You have kids that once in a while say, no, let me do it. <laughs> I used to be that way a lot, like a little kid, you know. Just let me do it myself. I don't need any help. If my wife were sitting here, she could attest that I've been known to be stubborn. Just let me do it by myself. Is anybody like, yeah, come on, I know there's some stubborn people in here. Just let me do it myself. <laughs> we can be pretty stubborn. So we were interviewing on Friday people for the Colson Scholarship at Wheaton, and I've told you about the Colson Scholarship. Uh, it's a scholarship that's given to people that have been in prison and uh, charged with a serious felony. And they get a full-ride scholarship, and we've graduated some, I think, 35 people through that program. And uh, almost every one of those, those people are walking with the Lord and serving the Lord in amazing ways, from being doctors of psychology to pastors to prison ministers to businessmen. And we've had very few women. We had one woman that graduated, and she's gone home to be with the Lord. But we interviewed a woman, and her name was Dana. Dana uh, was raised in an awful, awful situation. You know, we have to read all the history. And I won't even begin to tell you the things that happened to her in her life. No excuse for what she did. She was charged with a really serious crime. Uh, she was given life. And... Uh, she served 26 years in prison, and they released her. And she's been out for three years now, and uh, she's walking with the Lord. She's a counselor helping other ladies that have been in trouble. And so we were asking Dana, and I was asking her specifically how she would deal with the pressures and the adversity of you know being 46 years old, going back to college, hanging with all these uh, young people, uh, whiz-bang kids that are at Wheaton College, you know. And, uh, and she, in the, in the course of this questioning, she began to tell us, and she began to weep a little bit. And I could see she was really tender and, and being really transparent. But she said, you know, one of the things about me is I'm not afraid to ask for help. I've been through so much in my life that I, I'm, I'm gonna, I ask for help all the time. I ask the Lord for help. And then I turn to other people and say, hey, you know this, and I don't. Please help me. 
And so I love that about her. And, you know, we're going to give Dana an opportunity to get some more schooling and, and probably get this scholarship. But that's how our attitude ought to be as Christians is to recognize that we need help. So, so I love that about, about her. And uh, I was thinking about it. God, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the great I am, ever-existent one, <laughs> uh, very God himself, he says to us in these verses, I will do these things through you and for you. I will do them. And so my prayer this morning, and I'd just love to hone in on that, is just, Lord, teach us to ask you for help, to rely on your Holy Spirit, to enable us to follow you. We can't do it by ourselves, even now, as some of us have been walking with the Lord for a long, long time. Can't do it on my own. I've got to ask the Lord for help and for his power through the Holy Spirit. It also goes on to describe he himself is described as the God of peace. (laughs) Do we need God for peace? I think so. I really think so. People talk about world peace all the time. There's a line from a movie, and uh, I think the the person in the movie is a candidate for, uh, no, uh, she's a, like a Miss America contest. She's a policewoman, actually, and they ask her, what do you think society needs? And she says, oh, we need tighter laws, more longer probation periods. Oh, yeah, we need world peace, she says, jokingly. And so people talk about world peace all the time. And uh, you hear politicians and, and people talking about world peace. But you know what? Our world has never been at peace since the beginning of time. The world has never been at peace. When I was in Vietnam, we couldn't even have a ceasefire (laughs) without somebody breaking it, breaking the peace. It's difficult to have peace in the church. Yeah, there's been struggles in the church since the beginning of time. See that with Paul in the New Testament. It's difficult to have peace in a home. It's difficult to have peace in a marriage. I noticed that uh, Phil was praying for Kathy and I as we were driving together. I appreciate that, brother. We want to have peace in that car when we're driving to New Mexico for 18, 20 hours. So uh, difficult even in our own hearts to have peace. I visited a home months ago of a, a worship pastor been walking with the Lord a long time, a young man, married a couple kids, and some struggles going on in their marriage. And the first thing I noticed about their home was it was a war zone. It was a real war zone. And these are a man that leads worship, and he's a strong Christian. And and I talked to them about peace. You know, the home needs to be a place of peace. And... uh, We who walk with the Lord need to be people of peace and leaders in peace, which often means humbling yourself and uh, being the first to say, forgive me. So, but it says here, the God of peace, 
himself. See, we can't even do the peace part by ourselves. We just can't do it. We need the Lord Jesus. <laughs> God sent Jesus, the Messiah. Remember what he said when what the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men? <laughs> I love that. God sent Jesus to bring peace on the earth. <laughs> and uh, I love John 14 where it says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus brought peace. He paid our debt of sin on the cross. Do you ever think about that? I mean, I still struggle with sin, and I'm sure you do. And every sin of his people and the world, he bore on the cross. He became sin for us so that you and I could have peace with God. I remember when I first had peace with God. I remember it as clear as day. I'll never forget that feeling because I didn't have peace before that. Everything was messed up, and I was always paranoid about getting into more trouble and, and what was going to happen in my life. I got stopped by the police one day shortly after I'd been saved, and they wanted to search my car. I won't tell you why, but they wanted to search my car. And I knew there was nothing in my car, there was nothing wrong, and I had total peace. I remember standing there smiling and thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord's now. I haven't done anything wrong. They searched the car, and they let me go, and I was just rejoicing. And I don't know if it's that clear for you, but I remember the first day that I had peace in my life. <laughs> and God sent Jesus to pay our debt of sin so that we could have peace with God and peace with one another through salvation. His followers, you and I, we're at peace now. <laughs> and, and peace throughout eternity. <laughs> That's where we're supposed to be. Peace in our hearts from now through eternity. What mankind could never do, live in peace, God does in our hearts as his people through the infinite riches of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you just straight up, do you have peace this morning? You know, do you? I, I, I pray that you do. I know it does, it's not 100% of the time, but I pray that you have peace with God through salvation and that you see that peace in your home, in your life, and in your heart, in your relationships. So that great verse, Isaiah 26 and verse 3, I will keep you in perfect peace. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Remember when we were singing that song for a while? I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Great song. That's where it's from, Isaiah 26.3. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Father, grant us peace this morning, I pray. Not only does he grant peace, but he grants complete sanctification. So, huh. it says in here, your whole spirit, soul, and body kept blameless. Wow, that's a, that's a mouthful. 
Think of the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden. God created them. He created them in his image. God is what? God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit. We can't see God. So he created us in his image, and so we are spirit as well. That's the immaterial part of us that will live forever. Uh, That sets us apart from the rest of creation, that we have a spirit and will live forever. And then the soul, it says when God created man and woman that he breathed life into them. (laughs) And he did that for the animals as well. And that made them a living soul. And I'm not going to discuss, you know, some people believe in three parts, two parts, and all that, but this is a whole. This is a whole. God created us with a spirit. He's breathed life into us, so we have a soul, and he gave us a body. And that's the part that we see, the material part. That's the part that came from the earth that unless the Lord returns, we'll go back into the earth. And what did the Lord say about it? He said it was good. He said it was very good. I love that. So here we have this whole spirit, soul, and body. And when when I think of the Garden of Eden, it reminds me of sanctification because I believe that when Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were in the garden, this was the picture that God wanted for us, this idea of sanctification, of being set apart for God. <laughs> so Adam and Eve, they, their, their whole lives were consecrated to God. They were living holy, not as H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy in purity <laughs> in, in the garden. And they had hearts that were after God's own heart, and they bore his image. And you see, that's what sanctification looks like. It's almost like shalom, like peace. And that's what God wants for us. And you know what? It comes only through him. (laughs) You see, we chose to sin. And you say, oh, no, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have sinned. Uh, 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 Don't go there. Uh, I think we, we we would have made the wrong choice somewhere. And we would have sinned. So we, we, we chose to sin. And yet, you know, God didn't create robots, mindless robots. He gave us the opportunity to choose. And we chose to sin with our free will. So we could not even maintain our own sanctity. We couldn't maintain our own sanctification. Two people that had everything in the garden. They walked with God. And can you imagine going into a garden at evening and walking with God? It's amazing. This morning I got up and I looked out and I could see that the sun was just, I couldn't see the sun, but I could see the rays were hitting my truck. And I thought, oh, man, this is really cool. My truck was almost all pink. So I ran out of the house in my shorts and T-shirt. And I got in the middle of the road and looked east and I saw the sun, and it was just cresting, and it looked like it was coming right up Pierce Street where I live, the sun. I thought, how amazing is that? You know, it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and 
it was just, it was perfect. And it reminded me of God. It reminded me of the state of the earth when he created the earth. And what an amazing place it was. And yet we couldn't even maintain that for a short period of time. We always try and live in our own power. How many of you try and live in your own power? Come on. Yeah, it's, yeah. I know I do. <laughs> uh, has God ever had to bring you to the end of yourself when you're living in your own power? Sure he has. I remember when I went to Bible college. I was all spiritual. I'm going to Bible college, you know. And uh, We didn't have any income yet, but I had the GI Bill. And I said, okay, you know, the GI Bill, um, when it comes, that'll be paying our way. Well, for some reason, it didn't come. And it didn't come. And it didn't come. And here we are in Bible college, and I'm going to school, and I got a baby, and, and we're living in Alabama. It's all new. And, and you know, one day... Uh, I said something that really told the story. I said, you know what? I'm just going to have to trust the Lord. <laughs> and I thought, well, you fool. That's what you're supposed to do. And it was shortly after that that a check came in the mail. It wasn't from the GI Bill, from somebody else, and it took us and carried us through. So we rely on so many other things as people, <laughs> in a sense, you know, because we can't make ourselves holy. We can't even sanctify ourselves. We, we turn every which way. We rely on ourselves. We rely on finances, doctors, government, people, information from the Internet, and on and on and on. We need first to turn to the Lord because he himself, out of his infinite riches in Jesus, that's where everything comes from. It doesn't come from us. <laughs> rely on the Spirit of God for our sanctification. We rely on Him for the position that we have in the family. He put us into the family of God. He's the one that causes us to progress in our faith and become more and more like Jesus. And He's the one that will finally perfect us when we're in heaven and we see Jesus and we're like Him because we see Him as He is. We rely on him for that power, not on ourselves. You know, he's planning a glorious day. <laughs> it says, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't preach through First Thessalonians or Second without talking about that glorious day. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through his, again, you're going to hear me say this over and over, it's through his infinite riches in Jesus that we can persevere blamelessly until his return. You know, it ought to cause us great joy to know that there's a plan. Can you imagine if Jesus died, buried, resurrected, and then he ascended without ever telling us the plan? That would be difficult. I'll, anybody ever watch the A-Team? That's an old. I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. I'm a planner. I, you know, every, I write down everything on my calendar, and there's no greater joy than scratching something off. I got that done. I got that done. So I love to plan. So I love that God, in his great wisdom and mercy, left us 
with a plan, that he's planning a glorious day for us. <laughs> it ought to cause great joy. <laughs> you know, if we didn't have that plan, we'd be wondering. We'd be discouraged, I think. And we'd question the faith. Well, what's going to happen next? I mean, if we'd gotten to this point in history and didn't know there was a return of Christ, ah, what's going on? Thank God for the plan. That plan's to give us hope and joy. (laughs) So maybe you're discouraged anyway, questioning your faith. Maybe that's where you are today, even though you have that plan and that knowledge. (laughs) But God made it abundantly clear that his plan is to come again through Jesus. And he's going to take us with him to live in a new heaven and a new earth. I've got to read this passage. I can't think about heaven without thinking about this passage from Revelation 21, the first five verses. You could shout when I'm reading this if you want to. You could say hallelujah or praise Jesus if you wanted to. I might do that. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I'm not sure about that one. I love the sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There's a plan. And what a plan for his people. What a plan. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. The presence of Jesus with us in a new heaven and a new earth. There's a glorious plan. He's planning a glorious day. (laughs) Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He giveth and he giveth and he giveth again out of his infinite riches in Jesus. And you know what? He's going to follow through. It says in our text, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. <laughs> if you want to turn to Romans 8, I'm going to hit two verses there pretty quick just to verify this point. Romans 8 and verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined, some people hate that word. They don't like it that it's in the Bible, but It's in there. He predestined people to be called. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God's going to do it. He's going to follow through. God is the original and the only true promise keeper. That's God. (laughs) Every promise, every time, 
perfectly. I challenge you to look back in your life and see if he's ever failed you. I can stand here today and tell you without a doubt that you can depend on God. He has never failed me. Never. There's things I don't understand, things I don't get. I've been through trauma, lost loved ones, challenges just like you, but he's never, ever, ever failed me. He's always got a glorious plan. You can depend on God out of his infinite riches in Jesus. And then look at 832. (laughs) He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, freely give us all things? That's God, out of his infinite riches in Jesus. He just keeps giving and giving and giving again and again. We can't do it. But he does. He can. He will. Second point, and it'll be much shorter shorter than the first one. Finish Paul's bidding. This is verses 25 and 27. Through 27. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. (laughs) First thing I said was get on your knees. You know what Paul's saying there, though? He's saying, pray for us. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. So it hit me that Paul's not, uh, he's not just teaching others to rely on God himself. He's saying, I need you to pray to God for me because I can't do it on my own. He's humbly begging the church to pray for himself for Silas and Timothy. They were the leaders. You know, in small group, and if you miss small group, you're missing something because we we have some good studies, some good treats, and some good laughing and some good fellowship. I really appreciate it. But we were talking about this idea of uh, (laughs) what does it mean to not quench the Holy Spirit of God? specifically in preparation for coming to church. So, what do I mean by that? How many of you have experienced the Sunday morning thing where you're going to go to church and all of a sudden everything starts going down the tubes? (laughs) It's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. You know, I'm headed to church where I'm going to worship, I'm going to, maybe we're going to preach or teach, and it seems like Satan just wants to boom, boom, boom. Some way he's going to get us from going there Or, if he can keep us from going, that's great. But if he can get us there with a really, really bad attitude, that's even better. You know? And so, the question we ask is, that's the quenching of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is leading us to worship God in peace. And and when Satan gets in our way, he, he can quench that Holy Spirit. So, we were saying, how do we prepare ourselves for Sunday morning? And, and we came up with a couple of things. <laughs> We need to prepare ourselves to receive the Word of God, first of all, through humility and confession and prayer. I've told the church, and it's not bragging, it's just that Kathy and I realized that when we're spending 35 minutes driving here, it's really a good time for she and I to pray for every person in this church. And so we do. And that's a part of our preparation 
is getting ready to worship the Lord is to pray for my sisters and brothers that are here this morning. And uh, so, and confess in humility. And so, I just want to say to the congregation, like Paul was saying, uh, pray for those that are going to break the word for you this morning. Pray for us. You know, if we want the power of God in this church, if we want to reach our community for Christ, pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those that lead us in worship every Sunday. Pray for those that teach the children's church, that lead to small groups. Pray for the, the Easter egg hunts. Pray for one another, for the power of God. Travis, he's the pastor at Grace Campus in Aurora. They have a much larger group of people than we do, but some of their people on Sunday morning have taken to not being present in the service, but probably in the basement or somewhere in a separate room, and they're praying for the service. And you know, Travis has said he's had more power in the Spirit of God and freedom in the Spirit than he's ever had in his life since those people started praying for him on Sunday mornings during the service. You know, uh, I think I've failed in some ways to lead us to be a, a group of prayer. But man, we need to pray for one another. And we need to pray for those people that are, are leading us. <laughs> Why? Because it's out of his infinite riches in Jesus. It's not from us. The second idea, <laughs> this is where we get into trouble. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I thought about having Phil come up here and give me a kiss, but then I decided probably not going to happen. So uh, what in the world is that talking about? Uh, you know, there are cultures, and even here in the United States, I have some strong brothers in Christ that are, uh, don't have necessarily look like you and I, but uh, in their culture, the men are not ashamed to kiss their brother on the cheek. And some of the men do, do that for me and I for them. And I'm not ashamed of that. They're all manly men, don't, nothing goofy. And, and so I love it when somebody's not ashamed to do that. But what the picture I want us to see this morning is a church is it's, it's really the idea is to maintain real fellowship, a close bond of love with one another. And you know, here at the creek, <laughs> uh, I love that, here at the creek, we do that well. We, we really do. Uh, and you know how we do that really well? After the service, it's a joy to see the body mingle. And we mingle around cookies. We use that as the excuse, but that's a huge thing. Thank you so much. It, it, we tell the other churches, you know, they say, well, we need to work on fellowship. You know, say, well, we have fellowship every Sunday after church. People hang around, and, and they love on one another. It's like greeting each other with a holy kiss. And so I love that. We, we're, we're doing that. That's, that's fellowship, and we do that well. Uh, but even that love and that fellowship, that actually comes to us through the infinite riches of Jesus. And then he says, Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers. So I called that give out the word. Um, what's he talking about that? Why would he put people under oath? I mean, this is serious. You're, okay, I'm making you promise. 
swear an oath that you are going to read this letter to all the brothers. You know, I, I'd never thought about that, so I started researching it a little bit, and there's all kinds of different ideas, but uh, this is where I came. Uh, not sure why it was such a strong admonition, but suffice it to say that we don't want to exclude anyone in the church. And you say, well, well how, does, how does that happen? Well, people are excluded sometimes that are even in the church. And we don't, may not do it on purpose, but people feel excluded sometimes. Uh, somebody may be missing from our assembly. In fact, this morning there's several that are missing. And I think Paul's saying, make sure that they get the word. And how does that work for us? Well, what's the word for us? Well, maybe it's an activity that we have to tell them that's going on. Maybe some of us could be brave enough to say, hey, this is what was preached about this morning. It was a good message. You should have heard this or you should have heard that. <laughs> and uh, who among us does not know what it feels like to be left out of communication? Come on, that's happened to everybody in here. What? Nobody told me? At work, that happens. It happens in the church. I see it happen. It happens in the family. There was something that my father was involved in, and everybody in the family knew about it except for me. And one day they started talking about it, and I was like, what? All these years, and I never knew that? And it felt actually like a kick in the stomach to me. I was left out of the loop. I don't think on purpose. Maybe they were trying to protect me from something, but we all want to be part. We're, we're one body. We're a unit. And so I think what Paul is saying, get the word out to everybody. Somebody's not here this morning. Make sure you read this letter that I wrote to them. And so whatever that means for you and I, and he's putting it on the congregation. He's not putting this on the leaders. He's putting on the congregation. Look around you today, see who's missing. Think about it. Maybe send a card, give a call, say, hey, we missed you. You doing all right? Uh, I don't do well at that. My wife does really well at that. We need to do that as a congregation for one another. Be careful not to forget anyone. And finally, there's a benediction. Final benediction. And even here we see it. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't have to define grace for you. I think you understand it. <laughs> but I love, you know, the scripture that was picked to read this morning, Tom picked that out a week ago, but that was the last scripture for my message this morning. For by grace are you saved. Hear this, for by grace are you saved. That's unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. That's the whole point of this message this morning. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Out of his infinite riches in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Paul's teaching to us. I thank you for your word. It's always powerful, sharp, and it cuts. And I pray, Father, that we will recognize 
It's out of your riches in Jesus Christ that we exist and live and thrive. And we look forward to the return to your glorious plan, Lord, for that glorious day. Father, I pray that we will think about those people that are missing from us this morning and communicate with them. I pray that people will take this challenge, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen.